If you're a business owner and you have a retirement plan and you are retirement plan curious or you don't know whether you've got a good or great product, that's problem number one. Mm. That means your people who are in charge of your 401k have not been doing their due diligence. To be a man and just work and support your family, that's honorable work. Mm. That is an honorable thing to do yep. to just support your family, regardless of if you enjoy it or not. If you're working with somebody that only has one carrier, that's fine. But if they say, oh, yeah, this is the cheapest rate, but they have one offering, they are lying to you. As an entrepreneur, you should like what you're doing or like the product you're mm -hmm. selling or like some aspect, whether it's doing the deal, closing the deal, whether it's filling the candle jars. Like You don't have to have a strategic niche, but inside your field, you should have what you like and enjoy yeah. just to keep you doing it. Entrepreneurs and dreamers, welcome back to The Dylan England Show. I'm your host, Dylan England, and on today's sixth episode of the podcast, we're going to be looking into the truth of the 401k industry. We're going to be looking into what it's like to be a quota rep, what a fiduciary is, how can you trust your financial advisor, and if you're a business owner, how can you make sure that you are working with the best 401k reps and brands out there. In order to assist me in today's conversation, I invited a good friend of mine, Evan Pulowski, co-owner of Michigan 401k Advisors, to help me with this conversation. If you would like to view the video version of this podcast, you can do so on YouTube. So definitely make sure you visit us there. Also on YouTube, you'll be able to see a lot of clips done from this podcast as well as our other projects. I hope you learned something on this podcast today. I know I did. Please enjoy the conversation that I have with Evan, learning more about the 401k industry, what it's like to sell plans, and really learning who you can trust. So without any further delay, let's jump into today's episode. Thank you again, everyone, for your support. Please share this with your friend. Enjoy the conversation. know a guy named uh, Phil Pearson either. So Phil Pearson owns a video production company who was introduced to me by another friend. He, I met with him. He like manages YouTube channels for like $500,000, 500,000 subscriber channels, like big channels. Yeah. And they also do video production for like Ford and all that kind of stuff, right? Small company, but they, they kill it. And I asked him, Hey, would you help me manage this channel? He's like, well, like you can, I you would can't love afford to, me. you can't afford me. Yeah, yeah, much. Yeah, yeah. But his dad is a missionary to Nepal. Ah, and then as a, and then they have a shelter there for women that have been sex trafficked, and then to help fund that shelter, they to started give them a the editing company. Okay, because his dad was an entrepreneur from the states mm -hmm. over there, and that's awesome. I was like, dude, let's do it. That's awesome. Yeah. Hey, no, it's cool. It's it's good background, you know, and and that's just like so. Uh, Mike Babcock, former coach of the Red Wings. One thing that he uh, he said, uh, and I, I'm not trying to quote him, I'm just paraphrasing here, is that anytime he entered a rink, he was looking to steal something. So he comes to watch his nephew play a square hockey game. He's checking, he's he's observing the other coaches and things like, so he can take something to steal for the Detroit Red Wings, right? Yeah. That's, I'm, I'm downloading, you know, like, because as we've talked, like, I want to build out through LinkedIn, but I'm, you know, it's going to have to require these other, other channels. I don't know where it ends. It's really just to put my searchable, authentic self out there. It's yeah. part of what we're doing here today, but wow. it's going to require... I can't be a video editor. You know, that's that's not my strong suit. Anything detail finish work? No, you got the wrong guy. <laughs> like that's yeah. not that's not my cup of tea. Yeah. And that's the cool thing because you are a you're a I would call you a seasoned entrepreneur. Okay. At this point in your life. You've gone through a lot of stuff. And we're gonna talk about some of the things you've gone through in the past. Mm -hmm. You've been a a 401k rep. Would that be the right way to say that? Yeah, that'd be the right way to say okay. it. Okay. Yeah. 401k rep to owner, co-owner of a company. Mm -hmm. 
to writing co-author of a book yep. to like LinkedIn. Like you're just killing it on the space, branding, hiring, payroll. I mean, you've gone, you've gone from the rep side, which is kind of where I started to, and just mm-hmm. being in rep and then just blossoming into your own, own company. So to have the humility to still be like, I'm always learning. Mm-hmm. I'm always downloading. Cause that is going to be the, the successful entrepreneur versus the proud. And though the people that aren't willing to learn are the ones that they, they, they fade out fast. For sure. And for so sure. that's cool to hear. So this is a good segue for us. Okay. So this is Evan. Uh, Evan own, co-owns with Steve 401k, Michigan 401k advisors. Michigan 401k advisors. We've, yeah. we've known each other for how long? A little over a year, year and yeah. a half. Yeah. Year-ish. Uh, my previous office space was right next to his wife. Uh, we became friends. His wife's a lovely lady. She's like, you should meet my husband. And then we've just kind of been friends and trying to figure out how best to help each other in Michigan here. So appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you. Uh, wanted to start off by just, we wanted to look through, I guess, the past because you do 401ks. Um, so first, could you tell us really what you do? What is your, your, what you guys do here in Michigan? Okay. Um, so Michigan 401k advisors is a, we're financial advisors. Um, we operate as fiduciary on over a hundred 401ks in the state of Michigan. And what that means is we help plan sponsors, um, run and manage their retirement benefit. Um, what makes us a little bit different is this is 100% of my specialty. So I wake up, I'm doing 401ks. I go to bed, I'm thinking about 401ks. Um, my team members, which are wealth managers, so they do individual be- uh, benefits. We have three advisors who work with the participants in those 401ks, which is just, it makes us it makes us unique because the average advisor uh, in, in America has 1.4 401ks. So that tells me the bar to manage or run a 401k is very low. Um, and, and, and so what we do is we go above and beyond that. And we just say, no, no, rather than this should be something we do on our side because financial advisors, as Steve would say, are allergic to saying no. Yeah, sure. I'll run your 401k. We're going to say, no, 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 this is an important benefit. We are going to just do this and do this extremely well. And that's how we built out Michigan 401k advisors. Yeah. I think that's one of the things that connected me with you first is so many people try to do so many, wear so many different hats. And when you spread yourself so thin, you can only be so good at one thing. And eventually your overall just deliverables go down when you're trying to do everything. So the fact that you guys found your niche, you know your niche, you're good at your niche, and this is why I think you're successful. Yeah. Uh, what I want to do, so this is why he's on the podcast. We were talking about like really like what we wanted to talk about. Because I mean, we could talk for two hours about all the new legislation and you know stuff that even like at the, the event we just had, Evan talked to a lot of people about some changes. But what I wanted to do, was talk about what it's you mentioned that you were an advice like a uh, sales rep for 401k companies yeah okay there are two audiences of this podcast all right the audience one is entrepreneurs generally young people i think it's like 70 percent of people that watch the show are from ages like 18 to 30 okay so there could be some young people in here wanting to know like hey i'm interested in being a financial advisor and they get a recruitment letter from a carrier being like, hey, sell 401ks with us. So one of the things I want to talk about today is like really what it's like working in that environment. Okay. Then the other people that watch the show are generally normal job W-2 jobs, you know, killing it on, on that side of things. They, but they're just interested in learning different things. So they're going to be, you know, working in your offices or doctor's offices, you know, factories, whatever. But they just want to learn what it like different industries. Yep. So then it's like the next thing I want to talk about today is how to know if you found the right financial advisor. Okay. So what are some red flags that people need to be aware of before they invest their money with a certain person and a certain uh, company? All right. So I guess like let's talk about when you first 
got started as a, what do you call it, carrier rep? What should I? Yeah, I mean, a wholesaler, 401k sales rep. I, I was a, a quota sales rep for um, Paychex. So Paychex is either the largest or second largest payroll company. Um, I think they're the largest for small businesses. ADP does like bigger businesses, like the Beaumont Health System yeah. here in Michigan and things like that. Um, so I was working on completing my uh, master's in accounting and it's 2008 and uh, I needed a job and Paychex was hiring. So I took a sales job there um, selling 401k services. Hmm. Um, it gets super weedy, um, but all 401ks are made up of three parts. You have a third-party administrator. So yeah. that's like who oversees the, the money moving around in the plan and then accounts for it and prepares the year-end tax statement. You've got a record keeper. So that's what most people, anyone listening to this podcast who's not a financial advisor, is going to associate their retirement plan with the record keeper. That's a name you know, Fidelity. It could be Paychex. It could be ADP, John Hancock. Even our current clients, some I say like, Oh, I've got either a Michigan 401k advisor's 401k, which they don't. They actually have one held by one of the record keepers, right. um, or they'll name the record key, record keeper. The third entity is the financial advisor to the 401k. So when I started at, at Paychex, what I was actually selling was the TPA services, just the third party, which is this administrative function inside the 401k. Paychex had their own in-house uh, third-party service, and uh, um, they trained us to sell that both to startup 401k, so companies that didn't have a 401k, and then also look at companies that Paychex was currently doing the payroll for, and we could see inside their payroll journal that they had a, a 401k, mm. and that that 401k wasn't administered by Paychex, so go talk to them. Get, a, get, a, get them to, to move that service over. I believe at the time they referred to it as the treble hook, right? You're never going to leave paychecks if we do your payroll, your 401k, and one other thing, whether it's HR, healthcare, yeah, all those things. Yeah, now they've started there. to do health insurance too. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, so at that time, they sent me off to Rochester for uh, one week uh, of training. Then I came back to the field for 30 days or 40 days, and then I had to go back to Rochester to – kind of take an examination, which really wasn't an examination. It was really like, hey, if you're still around, you haven't washed out, we're, we're going to keep you around. And then I was given a quota after that. So at the time when I first started, it was four new plans a month. So that was one a week. And then by the time I left two years later, after making President's Club two consecutive years, uh, I think I was up to six units is what they were calling them at the time, six 401ks. There were some other products. Like per month? Per month. That seems crazy high, dude. It is. Was that not? Was that like an achieve? Like that seems like as an advisor, I'm looking to do six to ten a year. Right. So it is. It it is a crazy high number. It's achievable, but it's achievable because Paychex has the perfect modality to talking to business owners. Mm. We're running your payroll. There's almost this built-in faith or understanding. Like, oh, you have my payroll. Now you're talking to me about HR or healthcare or other benefits. Yeah. Like, why wouldn't I let you in the room? You are. You should be the authority. You know, you should know best, which is crazy scary because I was selling, I sold my first 401k before I went to the second set of state, second stage of school. So I can't went for a week. I learned how to spell 401k. And then I was meeting with business owners and sold one in the next 30 days. I didn't know anything. I mean, I didn't know a thing. And, but with that, um, faith is the wrong word. What's the, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, just the belief, uh, confidence, confidence. Thank you. Thank yeah. The confidence yeah. in coming from internal inside their payroll, they bought from me. So, uh, uh, it wasn't my good looks. That's for sure. So how, <laughs> how did, so how does that work? You right. know, for what I do, 
uh, I have a taste of that, right? Because when I started working, um, contracted with Aflac, you know, it was very much like we're out selling. I didn't even know what a payroll deduction was. And then I was telling companies they need to do payroll deductions. I didn't know what that meant. Yep. I had, I had no clue what that meant. I just know that that's what I was told to say. Yep. So then I do know, but then also like, we're not part of the payroll. Like we were completely cold. Like we had no relationship in the company. And so we had a definitely a bigger uphill battle. What were the benefits for you as from a career perspective? Like, is that a job that you would recommend for people? What are the red flags of like, this is why I got out of there? Like, you know, we can be as controversial as you want, you know? Yeah. Cause I think, yeah, I'm just interested. Like, so, so my, my 13 year old son will tell anyone who, when he gets older, he's going to be in the NHL or he's going to be a 401k rep. He doesn't even know what it means, but he, he wants to take over my business, which I would be more than happy to hand off to him. And so what I've told him is if that's really what you want to do, you need to go to school, go to college, get a degree in whatever, um, interests you, you know? Um, and then when you get out, you have to pass your license exam and then go work for paychecks for two years. And you need to hear no 50 times a day for two years. And then you can come work for me. I'll be happy to hand you the keys of the castle. Um, paychecks, through my personal experience, great sales organization. It teaches you how to sell. It gets you talking to business owners. And to take, I'm not the only one who's jumped from, from paychecks, but I was just with someone yesterday and like, I can't believe you became a financial advisor coming from paychecks because it, hap- it, is, it is rare. Yeah. Um, if you have the lights turned on and you're always listening, you get so C3 set three. And I'm jumping around here, but C3 set three was my um, sales manager's um, mantra. So that meant mm. we had to set three appointments on the phone and we had to see three people every day. Oftentimes we couldn't leave the office until we had already set three appointments. And so that means a meeting with 15 business owners a week, talking to them about their business, understanding what their concerns are. And just like you in that first week, they're sometimes throwing me questions like, okay, what about my 941? I don't know what a 941 is at the time. Now I know it's the quarterly quarterly tax returns, which they have to do. But if you turn your lights on and you listen to that, and you also use the team selling approach that Paychex was really pushing, you become exposed to how the business world works. And that was my strategic advantage when I went out Mm. on my own. So how many calls did it take you? So it was all via phone or did you go in person at all? It was all via, uh, so it was, the setting appointments was all via phone. Occasionally you'd get a good email blast like back, back in the day yeah. and, and, and you'd get them, you know, I would set, I would, I'd always do an email blast in the morning. Cause if that did the hard work for me, I didn't have to call anybody. Yeah. Um, but it could be three phone calls. It could be 300 phone calls. Like it was different every day. And some days your attitude isn't going to get you any appointments. And some right. days you're smiling and dialing and, and it's happening for you, which I don't even know if that, that world really exists anymore. Mm-hmm. That too, again, when I, Left on my own, I thought that, oh, I'm going to pick up and call businesses and they're going to want to meet to talk about their 401k because they did it paychecks. The second I lost that confidence because I didn't have a view of their payroll initially, mm-hmm. the appointments were near impossible to make. When you, you, yeah, when you had the indoor scope taken away from you, that door was shut. When I could call up and say, hey, this is Evan, um, a call from Paychecks, your HR team. I want to come out and meet with you and talk about your retirement plan. Oh, we don't have a retirement plan. That's exactly why I want to talk to, mm. talk to you. Um, I'm going to be in your area next week on Wednesday. Does eight or three work? Something like that. It's been a while since I've had to do it. Yeah. But that's pretty close to what the script I would use. Yeah. And it was, it, it was pretty deadly. And then if I really got desperate, I'm really not making appointments. Hey, this is Evan from Paychecks. Uh, I'm calling from your HR team. We need to meet with you to talk about your payroll. 
wrong. Mm. Down and dirty, but got one for my, my sales rep manager saw me get that appointment. It gave me someone to go to talk to. And I knew I probably wasn't selling that person a darn thing, but it was someone to talk to. You yeah. know, it was a, a tick check for my uh for my the sales quota. manager, my yeah. quota. Exactly. So you uh, did this for two, three, how long? Two years. Two years. Two years. Okay. Yeah. At what point in your paychecks journey were you like, so did you go f- straight from paychecks to Michigan 401k advisors or was there something in between? Straight, th- straight to that. Okay. At what point does Steve, your, your co like founder, where, like, or where does he yeah. enter this whole equation? Well, I, I've talked about the manager before. I, I, I should sh- shout him out cause I do owe him a lot. Uh, Joe Landis and to our prior conversation before we started, he left that role to take a pharmaceutical job, which he's excelling at and making their presence club or whatever they call call it in that he was very much into the financial aspect Mm -hmm. of the 401k space um and so he was always pushing us to learn bringing us ideas you know he he was a little bit outside the paychecks mold and wanted us to expand our understanding and so in that um at one point i wrote the retirement plan for my wife's boss when she was uh, first started out as a nurse practitioner in a, in a small office down, down river, Michigan. And he had a bunch of financial questions. So I went to my manager and said, Hey, look, I wrote a piece of business for my wife's boss. Uh, I want to protect this. I want this to be good business. Um, I need a good financial advisor to manage this plan. And so he re- recommended Steve case at the time. So that's the first time Steve and I make, uh, Matt, I think we're maybe, I'm maybe six to eight months into my paychecks career. Steve must've saw something in me because from that point on either that or wanted to continue to expand that business. Um, we started meeting about every two weeks for coffee and he was, re- look back, maybe it was a recruitment. Maybe it didn't start off as pure recruitment, just wanting to do more business. But ultimately it was those conversations that said, all right, let's, let's join forces and let's, let's do something. When you made the jump and we're going to get back to quota. Cause I do want to talk about a little bit about the, the pros and the cons of working with someone who's quota based, because I do think that it's yeah. worth having that conversation. So we'll get back to that. I want to talk about your relationship with your wife when it came to starting your own business. And okay. the reason I say that is like, obviously having your spouse be on board is important when you're making jumps like that. Yeah. So you're making president's club, I'm assuming decent money at paycheck. Decent money, yep. You know, to where, you know, you're you're supporting your family as you need to support them. Yeah. And then you go to your wife and says, hey, think about starting my own business. How did that conversation go? And was there initial apprehension? Was there, like, how did you guys work through that to get where you're at now? Yeah, so Steve, like I said, maybe it was a recruitment, maybe it was just getting to know you. I'd started the conversations about wanting to do this, what what the next thing was going to be. Because even at paychecks, I'm trying to think, I think I was paid like $38,000 salary somewhere in that, in that ballpark. And then I got 16% of what paychecks was billing the client for what I sold. Yearly. Oh. Yearly. And I got that as a month end on a, on a commission check. So I, you know, um, yeah. 60 days after sale. And it was something like that. And then if, as you sold, you teared up and maybe that percentage moved. I think, I think if you got to president's club, it was like, 25%. And so the sooner you could get to the 25% in the mark in the year, then you really want to start selling like yeah. crazy. There was always this variable, like there were these good months and, 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 and bad months. And that's always like tough to explain. Like for me, who has my, my risk score is like 99, like, like, let's just do this. My mom could pull out a, uh, an essay I wrote from third grade that said I was going to own my own business and do all these other sorts of yeah. things. But it says right there, I'm going to own my, so I was already I wasn't risk averse. I, I, you know, um, 
So hurry, I was like, well, this is one way we can, we can modulate this. Like we can have some control and, you know, paychecks is huge in corporate. So they're always making changes, whether it's managers, whether it's staffing, moving people around. around. So there's kind of like this devil at the door. Mm. Yeah. You you've got your commission fight just to, just to protect your mess. And then you have the corporate fighting you as well. So in that transition, it, it, you know, there was long conversations over a course of time, like, hey, I want to do this. I want to do this. Went to dinner with Steve and his wife. Got got to know her. Uh, Steve and I um, negotiated an agreement, which allowed me to transition and sort of protected me from that day of like getting a paycheck mm. to not having a paycheck, right? Um, which is what I'm doing with with some of our reps now. So that 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 transition went 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 smooth. Um, the next transition, which was not as smooth, was. Um, when I absorbed 50% equity in the in the business. So um, Steve financed the business. So he owns 100% until we met certain goals. When we met those goals, I think four years in. So I mentioned earlier, four years in, we, we were in the black. So once we hit the black, then it, it went from me having a draw. There's no guarantee yeah. in a draw, but a, a draw to, okay, here, Here's fifty percent of the business, and now you have a bill for for the rent. Now you have a bill for payroll, like like yeah. And so that was a much scarier time in, in uh, that transition. I I could have handled that better because I was excited for it to happen. I knew the equity immediately day one. What just giving me the equity, I could turn around and sell that for two point five to three point four times what it was earning me right then there. Yeah. I knew that. Um, and so maybe I could have done a little bit better coaching uh, my wife along in, in that, of what in that, that was process. Gonna be. Because that's when things got scary. Things weren't scary those first four years. Interesting. Things were scary when I came off the draw and went to full equity partnership. So then you guys went to a certain, was she still doing what she's doing now or when? Well, I, actually, I think at that time, if I remember correctly, she may have been in NP school. Okay. So, yeah, so, yeah. That so, was so you were sole income at that point for your family. No, she was always a, she was a nurse. Okay, nurse she was. Through that. Okay, cool, cool. Um, but you know, at that time we've got two kids, one in diapers, and she's we're spending money on grad school. Like you know, it's it, it, I look back and that that was I can even say that was a scary time, even though I didn't feel it or internalize it at that time. Yeah, looking back on that, I mean, I feel like that happened to us. I think we're going through that now because. Um, like when I bought this office space or, you know, lease this, like our, you know, our, our rent went up like 50% and then like trying to always make sure my admins pay is un, like the right amount for the work he does. And like In the past two years had to be tough. I mean, inflation, we probably really felt yeah, that, you know, we're feeling it, you know, Ann and I had the conversation. I made more, we are saving less than we did my second year doing this. Okay. Just the amount of like inflation so especially with what we do people don't have as much discretionary money mm -hmm. so when it comes to benefits what we do is not top of mind so we're like the third thing on the list it's yeah. like health insurance 401k supplemental like that's like so we're obviously the, the bottom dog yeah on the list and then on top of that you throw in all the extra expenses and on top of that 2020 we lost probably like North of thirty three, thirty four thousand dollars out of our own bank, like our, our personal checking in the month, just just the year of twenty twenty to, to keep the business afloat. Yeah, yeah. And so, and we went from we this is what, so we we got married. We had seven hundred dollars in our bank account when we got married. We had seven hundred dollars. Like a quick little synopsis. I'm from Ohio. My wife's from Virginia. I moved here to Michigan. Started working, uh, selling supplemental insurance to companies, and then um, she moved from Virginia. When we got married, we had a small basement apartment, like in the basement of somebody's house. We literally, there was a part, we looked at our check and we had like 500 bucks in there. And then like our bills, like our bill for the apartment was 500 bucks. So like if I would have made nothing, 
we had like whatever. Yeah. The, the month of September that we got married, I made $300. Wow. And so like, that's how we started. Yeah. Right. So then fast tracked nine months from there. No, six to nine. Yeah. Nine months from there. My wife quit her job to come work with me because my business was going like, it was just booming. Yeah. And then we were like, this is crazy. Fast forward another six months, January of 2020, January, February. That was like my first month where I made $30,000. And I'm like, I made it. This is incredible. Yeah. Like this is insane. And then, or maybe it was 20,000. I don't remember, but it was, it was like, this is insane. Yeah. Money, right. For us, especially coming from where we were at. I'll and take a $20,000 check. Yeah. COVID hit. And then it was like, literally, it was like the Lord gave us that money so he could just like not completely be broke. And it was funny because I was actually thinking about buying a car because I was like, you know, like we talked about earlier, you get the money, you spend the money. Yep. And we were really disciplined on the money. I almost bought like a Mazda 6. I was like wanting one super bad. Almost bought it. I didn't buy it. And I was like, so I'm like, thank you. Because if mm -hmm. I would have bought that car, yeah, we would have been in, in detriment. So anyway, I'd say, I'd say is like we limped through COVID. We limped through 2021. At the end of 2021, we start getting our bearings back. Companies start opening up in Michigan. Mm -hmm. As we know, for people that live in Michigan, we had a lot of shutdowns here yeah. and government sh sh shutdowns. And we'll get political on the next podcast. But <laughs> it didn't help. What, like sure. when, when businesses were shut, we couldn't do anything. And then 2022 was a decent year which then allowed us to get in this space and upgrade. And so now we're still like, we're writing that like line yeah. to talk to you earlier about like, I pay myself sometimes not that much. Sometimes I pay myself more it depends on the month. So that's where yeah. we're at. We're still on that like up and down trajectory. And I just like, I'm excited for us to get to the place where it's just like st st a little bit more stability. You know, and this kind of gets back to what I was saying earlier, the way you phrased the question. I don't remember your exact wording, but like when you made it, right? Newsflash, you're probably, you're going to feel that way always. Yeah. Just cha you change whatever you want on your distribution check, but you're still going to feel that way. And I think that's, that's where the success comes from, right? So, you know, tying it back to paychecks, they create that, they make you feel desperate by jamming a quota down your throat and telling you you're not good enough and like yeah. walking people out of the office every other, every other month, right? Mm -hmm. So that's how they create that urgency you know as an entrepreneur you're always going to feel that way you have the urgency created for you right just organically in the you know in yeah. what you're doing and it's hard when you work on residual income like like you and i both do um so much of it has to be done on on, on faith that like if i pay this person this i will get an roi on it and yeah. i also experienced it so i know that roi isn't isn't in six months or nine months, whenever, whenever it is, it takes time. And you know, there, there's times I look at the books and you're just like, well, if I just fired everybody, that's all money. That's all yeah, money. I've been making a lot of money. Yeah. You're not, how does that look? And then what happens when, um, you go to do a presentation and you're trying to sell yourself and sell your business as it is something, but you don't, you're Oz, you're, you're the only one behind the curtain. Like, yeah. like you can be successful like that, but I think you make, you have to make that determination on day one. I'm a lone gun man. Maybe one admin just to move the paperwork, but I'm going to run as lean as, po as possible. And you can be successful that yeah. way. You can be successful the way you're doing it right now too. say like, I'm going to scale up. I'm going to empower people around me and trust that my investment in a human being is return on it gives me some ROI, it gives me some income back. It just takes time. It does, right? And that's and that's the man. I look like I love the entrepreneur talks because that's that's sometimes the reminder entrepreneurs need. It's like it can be worth it, and it's like how do you want to structure your business? It's like you said earlier. Do you want to be like the? I just imagine like a mad scientist with like hair running all over the place, just like crazy busy because they're doing it all. Yep. Because there is a dollar amount towards your time. 
Because mm-hmm. we are like, all hourly employees. Everybody is an hourly employee. If you if you are earning a salary, and I don't care what the number is, call it four hundred thousand dollars. Just divide by your time. That's your hourly rate. Yeah. And I think it's so funny when the the task that some people will take on and not even appreciate what their own hourly hourly rate is. Um, now there's a time in business where you need to hang your own pictures on the wall, or you need to uh, edit your own podcast, or or whatever the that that thing is, right? But then there's a time in business where. Well, that hour spent hanging those pictures is costing you more than it would cost to pay a handyman to come in yeah. and pay his hourly rate. And you, you have to be mindful of that and you have to pick and choose. And that that's the that's the teeter-totter of being a, an entrepreneur. Yeah, that's a good lesson for any entrepreneur listening to this is like, do you know how much you make an hour? Yeah. That's a really good, and I don't know. I did know. Um, I I knew for a while, like if I broke it down, I can't remember, it was like, it was like, 60 or 70 or something like that yeah but then i don't remember now because and then it gets skewed because a lot of entrepreneurs when you start you're making like ten dollars an hour mm-hmm. because you're working so much yeah and so long i mean even if you made eighty thousand dollars a year but you're working 60 hour weeks your per hour is no better than somebody you know that's doing a construction job somewhere and that's what makes the entrepreneur different is you actually i would i would advocate work to that number Figure out what that number is, mm. and then you know. Funny story. One of my, one of our financial advisors that that came in, um, Charlie. He came, moved from the east side of the state, and he had broken off on his own. And we were bringing him into our our firm, and it's that getting to know you process. He's meeting our clients, and mm-hmm. and he's educating. He's trying to trying to find business. And fast forward to now. Now he's super successful. But that first year he came over. He had a whole bunch of life stuff, but he showed me his commission and he made $15,000 after fees. That was the entire year. Entire year of revenue was $15,000. And I, I said to him half jokingly, like, well, why don't you just go work at Starbucks? Then it's not worth it's not worth your hourly rate. Yeah. And I didn't know that until two years later. He's brought it up like multiple occasions. He's like, you said it and you 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 were right. And like, I did, that's when I decided I had to sell, sell the place on the, on the, um, West Side State, Grand Rapids area for those in Michigan, and move over to. I had to do what you guys were. I had to work with you guys full time because there was the prospect there, and he's now super successful. Like, money is the least. Sorry, he's just he just had a baby three weeks Good ago. Yeah. He married a girl in our office. Like, like his whole life changed. But you have to ask yourself, like, what do you want to do with your time? And if your time is worth, you figure it out and you're worth twenty dollars an hour. And, and, and you're, let's say enjoyment's neutral, forget like loving, loving what you're doing. Could you go work in the union for somewhere and make 20 bucks an hour as an electrician's apprentice and have a pension? Like, like, would that be more fulfilling for you? Could you go work for paychecks and have them tell you what to do every day and make a better hourly rate? Um, cause if you we're in this to make money Mm -hmm. and so you got to know what your value is there. Yeah. And then it was two part questions like, what are you making now? And then based on your industry, what is the max amount that you're going to make? Right. Right. Cause it's like, you could already be maxed out at $15 an hour. Like if you're making candles, no offense to your candle makers out there. I'm assuming it's not a super high profitable business. It could be, but I'm like the time it takes to make the wax and set. I don't know. I'm just thinking, but like, it could be that you will forever be capped at $15 an hour. Or no, it's just, let's stand the candle. You got to put wax in the glass and then you sell it. Right. Yeah. Um, and so whether you develop the scent, develop the candle, or you're good at selling the candle, you're, you're good at one part or all mm-hmm. part, parts of it. At some point you're gonna have to hire China to fill the, fill the glass. Yeah. And so, you need to know your hourly rate. So when you know, hey, I am losing out on new sales because I'm spending more hours filling glass jars with wax and I could pay somebody to do that. 
that's that's when it's time to move. It's not time. I'm not on Shark Tank. I'm not that. I, I don't have a product, so I don't know if you start off a day one outsourcing your production, or if everybody who has a product has to start with their like building doing their yeah. own product. I'd probably say you do. Me too. Um, every 401k client that we have, I've met. They they know me. Um, we're now starting to get close to where there's some clients that are coming from my reps that they know better than I know, but I still feel that I had to go through the process of doing all the work that they're doing. In order to, to understand how, yeah, how to, to grow it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a helpful thing, man. Looking at your industry and be like, what is, what, it, what really is, is here from, do you need to rethink what you're doing? And then we've had this conversation, mm -hmm. right? It's like, do you want to take a look at your job? Cause sometimes I think as entrepreneurs, especially you can float through and just be like, Hey, I'm an entrepreneur and just do your little niche, but then mm -hmm. never actually blink and be like, well, is this the niche I actually want to be a part of? Yeah. Or is there another niche that is actually way more potential? I do think enjoying your work is helpful. To, it's yeah, nice when yeah, you enjoy yeah. it. It's not everything. And I do think it's a lie. I had a buddy on. It's a lie. It's this American lie that you deserve to enjoy your job. You don't, you don't deserve crap. Yeah. Like, let's just start there. You don't deserve to enjoy your job. If you can find something that you happen to support your family and you enjoy it, man, you are, you are winning at life. Yeah. So, but to have the discipline and all like say the be because I've been going through this too, like to be a man and just work and support your family, that's honorable work. Mm -hmm. That is an honorable thing to do yep. to just support your family, regardless of if you enjoy it or not. Mm -hmm. And so I do think that is important to, to say we're not saying go like all disney and follow your heart and you know be a fairy princess and do all this stuff but we're like it is nice if you can enjoy it yeah and make money at the same time that's when you know you found not again we won't go down the politics road but it is pertinent with uh, what's going on in france they want to move the, or macron has moved the retirement age up two years right mm. and so us as americans look at that and like it's 64 big freaking deal we're 65 here required minimum distributions are now now it's 73 grow up france yeah but your your friend was was spot on it is the myth or the lie that we tell each other as americans that you should enjoy their, their, their job it is the myth or the lie that's commonly accepted in France that at 62, you get to enjoy your, your life. The French are very much more, I'll work really hard, I'll raise my family, and then I get to start enjoying life at 62. Mm. Mm. I talked about college earlier. Yeah. I'm the biggest proponent of college. I don't like any of this new talk that that college is unnecessary or should be, should be looked down upon. But I am also the first person to say is how you prolong your adolescence. College is a big goof off, and that is part of part of part mm. of the thing. Like that is what makes college great. It's not just your professor interaction. However, that's that gets back to what you should enjoy. You should enjoy school. Like it should be fun. It, you should you know make friends. Like that is all baked into the myth of of, of being an American. And I, I really don't know how we ended up down this. No, road. I love it. No, yeah. this is this but, is why we do a podcast. Yeah. Right? we can talk for two hours and go in circles. I mean, that's the whole point. But you, yes, I guess as an entrepreneur. You should like what you're doing or like the product you're, you're mm -hmm. selling or like some aspect, whether it's doing the deal, closing the deal, whether it's filling the, the candle jars, like like whether that is it, you don't have to have a strategic niche, but inside your field, you should have what you like and enjoy yeah. just to keep you doing it. Yeah, it's, it, it is impossible. I'll talk to the salespeople for a second, right? It's like if you don't enjoy either believe in the product that you're selling or enjoy some aspect of your job because there's going to be aspects of your job that you hate regardless of what you do like that's just that's just how life is like yeah you, you cannot outsource 
every single thing you hate doing. I mean, it's called work, not super yeah. awesome fun. Correct. Right. This is called work for a reason. And so, yeah, yeah I mean, and, and that's where, but if you can find a, like, for example, I really enjoy talking to business owners. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yep. Like if you can put me in front of a business owner, it's done. Like I'm closing the sale. Yeah. It's like, that's, that's like easy. My conversion ratio is like through the roof. Mm-hmm. I hate all the prep work. And I hate all the service work. Yeah. Like I hate everything that comes after. I hate everything that comes before. But then that meeting, like I love that. If yeah. I could just talk to business owners every day, all day, it would be amazing. Mm-hmm. And I could like have those conversations and learn about businesses and be strategic in conversation and really try to learn and help and assist. And all. Like that's great. Yeah. But then having to do the, the cold calling and the work to set that up. And then, you know, you get people put in plans and then they have like tons of questions and claims and changes and forms. And like, that's the stuff that drives me insane. But like, that's part of like, now you can't scale. I mean, that's why I hired an admin, right? Yeah. To do all the service work at the end on the back end. So when I sell something, I still have the relationship with them, but it gets done quicker now. Cause that's the other thing, you know, we were talking about when you try to do it all yourself, when you try to do it all yourself, you aren't probably going to be as profitable either Mm-mm. because you're not getting as much done. And so now, like in the past, I'd be like 24 to 72 hour behind on emails, right? And that's bad when people Real are bad. like wanting claims and this and that. Like that's just unacceptable. Like that can't happen. But it's Especially also like, in what you do. Someone could be waiting for that that check to to bridge them before their medical procedure. Correct. Like, so it's like yours it's, is- it's timely in Affleck. Like you can actually get fired if you don't, if you accept, like if you understand it's happening, you have 24 hours. Like it's a- it, so once you've read that email, you have 24, 24 hours, hours yeah. to, to respond and, and get things moving. Yeah. And so like when we hired Tom, it was an intentional, like, we don't have the money for this. Like I, when I hired, I did not have the money for Tom. But you also didn't have the money to, to not, lose the, what you had written. Correct. Yeah. I didn't have, I couldn't afford not to hire him either. It was like the catch 22 of business. It's like, I can't do this i also can't not do this right and that's what got me to when you said like that we're talking about the feeling of being an entrepreneur that's always there you just keep moving the goalposts you know Mm -hmm. it's you know like like now it's not it's tom and now it's gonna be like two more times like those goals goalposts are all always there they'll scale i mean and it's kind of but it's knowing when i think the the question is as an entrepreneur when do you know you're making the worthwhile investment like when do you know you're scaling at the right time. Like look at layoffs. Yeah. I mean, look at Amazon and Google and Facebook, like Meta, right? Zuckerberg is like, I don't know, it was like 4,000, 2,000 employees that he's laying off because he thought for sure that the metaverse was the next big thing and now they're completely scrapping it. Yeah. But he put billions and hire all these people. Now he's just letting them all go because it was just not the right thing and not the right scale. I put my son's Oculus on the other day because it needed it just wasn't logging in right. And I ended up in some Jurassic Park park game and I'm like amazed. Like it was, yeah. it was so cool. I haven't put it on since. No. Like it no. was cool for 45 seconds. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, so, so how do you know? Well, I, obviously in what we're doing because we're so tied to business owners and business success, um, I don't know if you, if you ever know, I mean, I've only been doing this for 12 years, so, um, I still have a, a lot to learn, but m- the way I've personally chose, chosen to scale is I pay myself, I'm an S corp. So I pay myself a specific salary every single, single month. That also helps mom at home be happy. Like we have this consistency and I use the boom months as the fuel to whether it's hire people, uh, or, or, or try and scale. Now, part of that and where I am now versus where I was from say, uh, year four to year eight back then, 
because salespeople, newsflash, if you're in sales, call salespeople, right? I don't like hearing no, so I don't like telling people no. I'm a yeah. great buyer for oh, salespeople. Dude, dude salespeople... <laughs> Salespeople are the easiest to sell to. Easiest. My wife, if someone calls and comes knocking on the door trying to sell me their CD at home, if I answer the door, my wife already knows I'm buying it. Yeah, your your hand's already halfway in your wallet. Like you yeah. already know you're buying that. Yeah. Yeah. So you're um, 40 years eight. I would buy things. I would buy marketing services or 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 videos or leads or or um I would buy tangible things, not people, not try and grow the business. Some successful, some complete boondoggles. Um, I remember I got involved. Ooh, I like that. That's a good word. <laughs> yeah. I remember I got into um, a software, I think it was called Marketo, which was part of Salesforce, which I'm sure is awesome. It, was, it The idea is you could build out these email ladder cycles, right? Well, I'm a salesman. I'm not the person to implement that. I'm not Tom, I don't have that background. Just working through and learning the system exhausted me. I wanted to talk to business owners yeah. li like you. So my niche inside my niche is I like solving business owners' problems. If I can get them to identify to me what their clear problem is, I like finding the solution, even if it's not a solution I sell. Yeah. Whether it be Aflac or telecom or payroll service, like these mm -hmm. things that I I have experienced in my ecosystem talking to business I love I love that connective tissue. I like it even more when they need help with their retirement plans. Of course, right. That, um, right. And, and so now years eight to, to today, I'm putting that money in, in people. And I can tell you people are way more expensive than all those software things. Even the expensive stuff that I yeah. that, that I bought, the expensive marketing campaigns and, and things. Because people, they need their check every single payroll. And they take more time to develop. And then there, you have your own personal empathy, which gives them more of a bandwidth. And I'm fortunate that I haven't had where I felt and taken advantage of, but when you're writing out checks and now you didn't have a great month and it can sometimes feel that way. Or if you're in my world, some of my vendors pay me, pay me quarterly. Right. Mm -hmm. So by the year end, I know I'm always going to be in the black. I'm not writing my, I'm not putting myself at risk of, of having to go into personal savings anymore um, to fund the business as, as you did. And I, those times are, those times are scary and that's faith in what you do. Yeah. If you're not going to bet on yourself, who are you going to bet on? Yeah. So I, I don't have to do that, but like, you know, there's the things the kids want to do, the things the wife wants to do, things things I want to do, and you're just watching that money go out, waiting. waiting. It's crazy how fast that money leaves, right? So fast, so fast. I, I got to write check. I got to write checks tomorrow for payroll. Like you know, uh, it just. I, so if any business owners watching this, I think everyone can understand my pain on payroll processing days, where it's like, so I like I'm super small. I have one employee, right? Yeah. But like, even when I write, I pay myself. So generally, about all the same time office rent and payroll and credit cards. I have them for whatever reason. I have them all paid at the same time. Yeah. And when you watch your bank account go from here then you log in the next morning and it's like here mm -hmm. and you're just like and you're like all right, next month we're building it back up because and that's where we're still at right now yeah. is still that like we're here, okay, we're back to almost zero building back up to pay everything like this and when you do add that employee factor cuz they need that check. Mhm. Mm they trust you. And I think that's the pressure. And I'm not, this isn't meant to, to make entrepreneurs built up, but like not everyone's built for that. No. Like not everybody is built for the pressure that if you don't do your job, people won't eat. You're right. And that is a, a scary, uh, like I've lost more sleep over that. And luckily I've never had to go to Tom and say, Hey, I can't pay you this thing. But I've, I have on multiple occasions taken less than he has mm -hmm. and um 
you know, because I'm like, I have to pay this person. Yeah. And then Anna's like, Hey, how are we doing this month? I'm like, not great. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and that is, those are hard conversations to have. Um, especially as a man, right? Because you want to provide and then you feel like you, you have the dream, especially yeah. like the entrepreneur is the one who has the dream. Yep. Their spouse necessarily doesn't have the dream. Right. And you see where you, but can they have 50% this. of the expense. Yeah. yeah, correct. Right, right, right. Yeah. There, and so then they, but they don't see where what you see necessarily, unless you're like amazing at communication, right, in your marriage. And even if you are, like, they still don't necessarily have the risk tolerance that you have. And if you're a good salesman, you're probably not good at that communication because, you know, you're on to the next one. You see the future. You see these yeah. these lily pads that you're jumping to. You know the committed sale that you have that you booked last month, but you don't get paid for another, whatever, 60, 90, whatever yeah. days. You, you know, the money's coming, but I don't, I, I've yet to find a good way to communicate that. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I, it, dude, it is. And then it's like, I mean, still in our marriage, right? Like, Anna will be like, Hey, can I buy this? And I'll be like, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> like we have a budget, but it's like, I don't know. Like they're, they're like, I know, I think I have sales coming, but like we had at the end of fourth or in the first quarter, we had five enrollments cancel in six days. Right. Like, dude, like that. So like that kind of stuff happens. And so for the people that are interested in being an entrepreneur, what I say is like, definitely walk into it, understanding that if you, you, you know, we see on YouTube, I say, I've said some podcasts, like every podcast, you see the people with Ferraris and they're selling their courses and you see like, Oh, you know, like you people view entrepreneurs, like you're going to be a Warren Buffett. Right. And that's, 99.9% of the time that will not be the case. Now, can you be successful and can you build something? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But you're going to hit a lot of valleys before you ever reach to that point of what we as Americans would define it as success. And I think yeah. success would be at the point where I guess if we defined it, it's like, I don't look at bills anymore. Right. Yeah. I think it's a, a simple, yeah. a simple when you, when you're at the point, when you go shopping, you go at restaurants, when you don't even look at the total, um, that's like you are in the top 5% of the world wealth yeah. if you could do stuff like that. Yeah. And so, but you're going to reach a lot of hard times. And the other thing I would say is if you, if you looked at me, if you looked at my pattern from 2010 to, to, to today, it looks like a straight line. It looks mm-hmm. like, like an ascending, an ascending line. Yeah. But if you take any one of those time periods, less the past three years, the past three years have just been insane like it's just unusual you'd see that the peaks and valleys right right and you know but what i think that you're built with and and i'm built from the same cloth is i felt just the line the entire time i felt this my wife felt this right the income was this the expenses were were this right Uh, but i didn't internalize it and i never felt that mm -hmm. and i think i was i think i was built that way from day one, or I was socialized that way, uh, what, whatever it, it, it was, it was in for, in for me. I've seen lots of different in my industry, right? Mm-hmm. In my industry, there's three ways to be successful. You can be a good salesman, good communicator, talk to people. I think that's where I fall in, fall into. Um, you can be a total wonk. You are mm. in the numbers, you know, financial services, 401k, uh, insurance in, in your world, you know, it in and out and no, you, you could give symposiums on it. Right. Yeah. Now that person generally struggles to sell, but I've seen those people make it because they're just, you, you, they're quant. You yeah. want what they want, what they have. And then in financial services, the most successful people in the industry, they're sociopaths. They are straight up. They will lie to your face because quote a rep, 
They're selling a product. Mm. They got something to unload on you and whatever it takes to get you to say yes. And if they can get 100 people to say yes and 25 of those people are angry with them, they don't care. They cash their commission check. They it, It's done. It's down the road. What percentage in your... Yeah, let's let's jump into this because this is I think this is the perfect time for us to talk about the downside of working with a quota rep. Okay, um, let me give some disclaimers. So with one of my companies, I have quota. Okay, so I'm a quota rep. So before we completely trash them, let's yeah. just that it can be done right. And I'm going to talk about the negatives on what we do first. But I I have seen what you have seen. But I want to let people know. Let's talk about financial advisors first. Okay, okay. how do you know? Or can somebody know if somebody's a quota rep or not? The, yes. The the first thing, that, the most important thing, and you see the commercials, is are they a fiduciary? So a fiduciary is someone who takes responsibility over the disposition or movement of someone else's assets. Um, so if someone is willing to sign as a fiduciary, as we do for all of our clients and all of our um, 401k plans, we are signing on the dotted line. We are legally responsible. That means... I can't do anything that's not in the best interest of the client. That also means I can't make a recommendation in a room. I can't make a recommendation mm -hmm. the first time I, I meet you. It just can't happen. But it does mean I can make a recommendation. Mm -hmm. A financial advisor who is on a quota rep works for one of the big firms. You see their advertisements. You see, you see their billboards. They may have a local office, right? They're not a fiduciary. They're just an advisor, and they actually can't recommend you anything. All they can do is advise you, so they can lead you to the decision-making process. I've got a jack of spades, and I've got a jack of hearts. Mm. And they're both jacks, and this one's black, and this one's red, and you tend to like red a little bit more. Which one do you want to choose? That is a financial advisor. That is someone who has commercials on TV. Mm. A, uh, a, a a fiduciary is someone, and we use the same title, financial advisor, because that's the marketing name of people. But yeah. if someone's a fiduciary, what they can say is, hey, Dylan, tell me a little about your situation. Tell me about your wife's situation. Tell me about your goals, your, your age. It's going to sound very similar to the information mm -hmm. that the advisor gathers. But where it's going to end is, all right, Dylan, based upon what you've told me, the jack of spades is the right choice for you. Yeah. I would recommend it. Now, you can choose the jack of hearts if you, if you want. And if you do, let's talk about it. But you should be in the jack of spades. That is a recommendation. Totally different. It, it may not – may the differences in the moment when you're talking to it may be so hard to even tell. But when it comes to game time, that, that's, that's where the biggest difference is. So I think, yeah, I mean, like how does somebody – why would – should anyone work with a non-fiduciary? Because where is there a fiduciary somewhere in their support system? Ah, okay. So yes and no, right? So what they're gonna what that what the non-fiduciary advisor is going to tell you is that their organization has people so big that they're boiling down the products and they're distilling them down to just what's in the best interest of all of their clients. So there is a fiduciary way, way up the ladder, right? Mm. Some of them will even outsource the fiduciary work. So you're dealing with the financial advisor. They're telling you they're making the recommendations. But the reality is there's a third party layered in there that's actually doing it. Okay. And guess who's paying for that third party? You are. Right. He's not paying for it. So when you compare the fees, God, we're getting in the weeds. Compare the fees of an advisor to a fiduciary. Okay. Oftentimes, the advisor is more expensive, which seems counterintuitive. I'm they're they're, they're less credential, less, yeah, yeah. But they have to they have to add this layered fee in there 
to protect themselves because who are you going to sue? We're going to sue them. Well, I wasn't a fiduciary. Well, I didn't know what a fiduciary fiduciary was. So to answer your question, should anyone work with a, a financial advisor who's not a fiduciary? It's helped millions and millions of people retire. I'm not going to destroy every, there are good people and it's just the organization they were hired into and they will act in your best interest with given the tools that they have. However, LPL, which is our broker dealer, our back office is the largest grouping of independent financial advisors in the country. We are all fiduciaries. Mm. We are agnostic to to any product. We have no incentive to sell one product. There's no Glenn Glary, Glenn Ross moment where someone comes down and says, cups of water. We need to move the cups of water today. And now your financial advisor's calling you saying, hey, you want to talk about cups of water? That doesn't happen in our industry. We hold all the risk in our, in our mm. office. Oh. I think we do a better job because we have to do a better job. Mm. I can't, th- I, I would not recommend a loved one to work with a non-fiduciary. Sure. My brother's in this industry. He works for a different firm. He's a fiduciary. Yes, by all means, if my best friend wanted, yeah, Adam's great. Go go work with Adam. His, his firm will take care of you. I know they're operating by that standard. And because I know they're operating by that standard, it's just that there is a standard. Mm. Your, oh, screw it. Your Edward Jones, your Merrill Lynch's, your Morgan Stanley's, your UBS's, your Wells Fargo's, those are the names? Those are the advertisers? Standard? No, those are, those, those, they're on quotas. Yeah, well, Wells Fargo is a bunch of crooks anyway. But. Well, they'll open a bank account and not tell you, you know. <laughs> Hopefully, I'm going to watch me get a defamation letter for that. <laughs> Some random person. The opinions expressed, blah, blah, yeah, blah. Yeah, yeah, this yeah. is all opinionated, and I'm sure everyone we mentioned are great people, but yeah. they're a bunch of crooks. Uh, they're going, they're closing like like crazy right now, Wells Fargo. Yeah, like, yeah. And in, in terms of their advisory services, yeah. they're having the hardest time bringing, bringing reps in uh, to get them to bring their book of a business. So, Well, no wonder. People are like, I don't trust you shady people. It's all about confidence, right? Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. you know, it's a, a con man, confidence gain. That's where, that's, that's where it comes from. It does. And I'll, 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 the confidence will go back really quick to the advice to entrepreneurs. If you can figure out a way to be like humbly confident, so humble enough to say when you don't know the answer. Don't bullcrap your way through answers. You're just humble enough to mm-hmm. know. But confident that what you do know, or like, I don't love the term fake it till you make it, but I do love the term fake it till you make it because there is a level of, I might be peeing my pants in fear right now, but you're going to have no clue. Yeah, You're going to think I've done this for years. Yeah, And you're going to ask me something that even if it's simple, I'm going to be like, you know what? I remember I just said, I just started six months ago. And they're like, you've only been doing this for six months? Because you're confident. Mm-hmm. Don't lie. Don't bull crap. Tell the truth. Be honest when you don't know something. I tell it to my agents all the time. Yep. I'm like, hey, if, they, if you don't know, just tell them you don't know. And then they'll ask, well, like, why don't you know this? This is simple. Be like, well, I started three months ago. Just tell them. Mm-hmm. Be honest. Yeah. And be like, and yeah, well, my boss has been here for four years. And like, and so like, tell them you have the support. But like, no one, people can sniff bull crap a mile away. Mm-hmm. But anyway, where I really wanted to go is, I think I want to keep pulling back the blanket of the, I'll say now the insurance industry. So I'll give you a little bit of insight on the insurance side. Um, and the 401k. So if you're watching this, get some popcorn because we're about to get. And they cross over because yeah. the 401k industry was built by insurance providers. They were they were the first in the game. They built the, for, the 401k out. Didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. When I started those first four years, I primarily sold um, an insurance carrier's product. Interesting. Yeah. Was it was it Johnny? Yeah. 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 Yeah, nice. Yeah. 
good old Johnny. Yeah. Um, cool. Yeah, I sell their life insurance. So, um, so this is. Let me give you guys. Let me give you guys watching a little bit of an inside look to why it's important to find somebody um, that is ethical and that does what's right by you. Um, how are we doing on your time? Are we good? Totally good on time. Okay, cool. So, uh, with being a life insurance brokerage, okay, your life insurance agent. Number one, I'll say two things. If you're working with somebody that only has one carrier, that's fine. But if they say, oh, yeah, this is the cheapest rate, but they have one offering, they are lying to you. Yeah. It's gonna, they are lying to you. I'm not saying you shouldn't work with them, right? Like for the longest time, I only sold Aflac insurance. And so what I would say is, hey, guys, this is what I have. Mm -hmm. This is all I can offer. There might be better out there. There might not be. I don't know. But if you want to work with me, this is what I have. That's fine. Yeah. Just, just say that, right? And as long as you understand that. But, but within life insurance, this is what you guys need to understand. When you, when you were life insurance sales, there are incentives to pick certain carriers. Yeah. Because there are commission rate changes based off of whatever carrier and whatever product you sell. And that's based off of what the carrier wants, what's in the best interest of the carrier. Yep. Like we're talking about, not necessarily in the best interest of the client. Yep. And so, and like, it, and it's very, so for example, if, if I sell a life insurance policy that does not have a medical exam, I get 30 to 40% higher than if I have a medical exam. Hmm. Because there's two types of policies. There is a non-med policy and a med policy, right? Non-med policies are more expensive across the board because there's only one premium rate. Okay. They're only capped at three hundred to five hundred thousand. Yep. You're gonna spend hundred and eighty bucks for five hundred thousand, where with a med policy you might only spend seventy bucks for five hundred thousand, right? If you're healthy. Yeah. Right. Big if. If you're healthy. Yeah. And so, life insurance companies have done the actuarial risk, saying across the board it's either an approve or deny scenario. Mm -hmm. So those those policies, from an agent's perspective, are super easy to sell. Because you ask the conversation, you ask the questions one time. There's no medical, there's no paramed visit, none of that. It's an easy sale, and you get forty percent more commission. And you get paid when? Like next, like as soon as it processes. And if they stop paying their policy after how long? Twelve months. They have to have it for twelve okay. months. You don't own any chargebacks. Yeah. So it's like, it's like those are incentivized. Mm -hmm. And then they're like, oh, by the way, yeah, you can also put med policies. Like, yeah, we have those. Right. But it's like those aren't what is pushed. And so if your life insurance agent isn't willing to do the dirty work to find you the cheaper rates, you just need to make sure that if, if they say, hey, yeah, this isn't even going to do medical, you need to ask them, be like, hey, are you sure <laughs> it's not cheaper out there? Because this happens all the time. So I will say, when you work with either a financial advisor, asking them, hey, are you fiduciary? Is That's the number question. one question. Yep. When you're working with a life insurance agent, the question is, hey, are you a broker and can you shop around with like policies that require medical exams? Because so when you say broker, when I hear broker, that to me that says, hey, I can find you a deal with different people. That's what how you, mm -hmm. the term broker means? Okay. Yeah, so for me, it's like I have 15 life insurance carriers mm -hmm. I can broker out. Like I'm like, hey guys, I have this client. Who's it, you know, who's it going to be? Who, yeah. who can give me the best rate? Right. Or And then you have your favorites too, and favorites because they process things quickly pay you quickly, do right by the client in the end. Yep. Yeah. So I have like three carriers that 80% of the time 
people are going to get placed with. Yeah. But then there's a 20% that they're going to be better fit with somebody else. Mm. But if you don't have those even available to you, like, you know, like I, I still don't say I have the cheapest rates. I mean, I, I'm sure there's cheaper out there. Yeah. But I just know that the rates I have are good. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. you might find some better ones bundled with your home and auto. Right. You know, but I know the companies I have are all A plus rating companies. They're going to be here for a long time. And so, like, we've done the work to make sure the carriers are good. And there's some value into what you do because we know each other well enough that the type of businesses that we're talking to, and then therefore their employees or the, or, or the, the people we're, we're talking to, you know, it's not Warren Buffett and, 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 and Bill Gates. Like I might cost a little bit more, but you're actually talking to me on my phone in my industry. Mm -hmm. Some of those advisors, they will meet you. They will gather your assets. They will, they will enroll you into their, their products and do your investing. But if you have less than $500,000, when you go to get another meeting with them, you get a 1-800 number. So to charge a little bit more for what you do, because of the, who you work with, there is some value, value to that. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, again, not to get political, is that a poor tax? No, I, I don't think that is. I don't yeah. think that's a poor tax. I think that is, I, you can pay for the service this way, or mm-hmm. you can give up the service and pay less over here. That is a marketplace. Yeah. What is your advice for a business owner shopping for a 401k advisor right now? Like if I could say, Evan, you know, here's your floor. We're snipping this next two minute, you know, whatever, like uh business owners shopping. Yep. What are the like key contributors that you think that would be helpful for a business owner or an employee that they don't have a 401k in their company? They want one. Like what are some, some important things to look out for? Okay. So um, if you're a business owner and you have a retirement plan and you are retirement plan curious, or you don't know whether you've got a gr- good or great product, that's problem number one. Mm. That means your people who are in charge of your 401k have not been doing their due diligence. You should be meeting with them semi-annually. All of our clients know whether their 401k is good or not. And all the clients that we've had for more than two years have excellent 401ks. And they know it because we have an analytical process that we teach them to understand and we do over and over again. So they mm-hmm. always they always know where they stand. Part of that is an annual RFP. We, I don't want anyone going to my clients showing them a better mousetrap, so I show them what's out there every year. Do we change every year? No, change sucks. But they hear it from me coming first. So if you don't know, you've got a problem. Then I would say, ask whoever is your financial advisor, how many plans do you have? How many 401k plans do you have? You'll know immediately whether you're dealing with a generalist or, or an expert. I can tell you at 100 plans, I am in the top 1% of all advisors at LPL Financial. I think we're up to like 20,000 advisors. There's only 5,000 advisors at LPL that are in what's called their retirement plan network so that, that they even allow to do retirement plans. And of those, I'm in the top 1%. Uh, and I'm in the 1% by plan count. There are plan, There are advisors out there who have millions or billions more total plan assets than I do, but work far fewer plans. Um, so how many plans do you have? I, I think that's probably the mm-hmm. next most important question. And then you can come up with a survey on your own. Um, there's surveys out there on the, on the internet. Uh, ask some of your key employees. What, tell me what you think about your retirement plan. Just let them be honest and open with mm-hmm. it. And then, and then you, and then you'll be able to glean a lot from, uh, from them. If you have a financial advisor and you say like, Hey, who's in charge of your 401k plan? And they answer with a fidelity, a John Hancock, a record keeper's name, then they're probably not getting the communications or they're not listening. Um, but 
you wouldn't be shopping if they were doing doing their job. Um, now, for the employees who say, hey, I want my business owner yeah. to add a 401k plan. You kind of teed me up on this one, but 2023 is the year to add a 401k plan. Um, we do do startups. They don't get me super excited because newsflash, on a plan with zero assets on it, I make zero dollars, right? Mm -hmm. I make money off the total amount of assets inside the 401k plan. So when I do a startup plan, I make next to nothing in year one, and unless it goes really fast, probably nothing for the first three or five years. But in 2023, the government has incentivized business uh -oh. owners We're back, baby. Yeah, to um, to start a 401k plan. Okay. They'll give you up to $5,000 towards whatever those startup costs are, and they range from 1000 bucks up to nearly 5000 All depends on your plan. And what's unbelievable, right now, they'll give you back 100% of what you match your employees. So if I'm an employee, not only do I want a 401k plan, I want a match, but I say, hey, boss, guess what? The match that you give me, if I make under $145,000 a year and I don't have any ownership, will come 100% back to you on your tax statement in year one, 75% in year two, and 50% in year three. Wow. Now, why is why does that mean 2023 is the year? Because that's what we have the tax incentive now. These tax incentives came out on December 29th, 2022, with the last uh, uh, government funding bill, and they could go out the same way at the end of the year. So that money is available. It's guaranteed. You got to go get it now. Uh, now it's the Man, time to get so started. So if you're and is this so this is exclusively for companies that don't currently have a 401k. Don't currently have a 401k or if you're in a group 401k plan, a multiple employer plan, and you want to exit that strategy. In that scenario, that's the golden goose. You actually get to leave, get mm. a better product, grab tax incentives, which weren't available to you when you went into the group plan. That's so, crazy. so, but yeah, you have to have a brand, a new plan document would be the technical wow. way of looking at it. I'm, so for like, I don't, I, again, I don't have a big enough company to, to know like this. So like, what's the... The what's the word I'm looking for? The people that always look the negative, like the uh, they think there's a catch. What are they going to talk about? The, the uh, uh, cynic, cynic. So yeah. the cynics out here, business owner, they're like, okay, well, what's the catch? Like, is there anything that's like, why wouldn't every company do this? Delayed gratification. You have to wait. It comes. It's on your. It's a tax credit. It's not a tax tax deduction. Mm -hmm. uh, it is a tax credit. But you have that's it gets applied. So you know whether you distrust the government or you don't want to want to wait or maybe yeah. you're maybe you're you're operating your business in the red. So I, well, and if you're operating in the red, the tax credit still helps you. So mm -hmm. um, that would be the negative. Um, and then it's also just understanding, you know, of how a 401k works. Some people imagine the 401k to work like GM's old pension in that they're going to get sidled with all this cost forever and ever and ever. And I think that there's good education out there. Okay. Um, that would be the cynic's point of view. Dude, I love that. I mean, honestly, anyone watching, if your company currently doesn't have a 401k, I'm going to have Evan's information uh, in the in the description of this video. If you're a business owner, you want to reach out to Evan. I mean, he's definitely the way to do that. Last way I want to end this. So we just talked about like, these are the things that you want to look for. Let's talk red flags and we're going to end this up. What are some red flags when companies or individuals are talking to financial advisors? What are the red flags that are going to say you should run? Um, account minimums. Uh, if they um, If they introduce you to a bunch of different people, like I introduce all my clients to my whole team, but we know what everybody's specific mm -hmm. role is. If you're getting introduced to a lot of different people, that's a lot of overhead. So that would tell me that you need to charge me a lot to pay for, to pay for all of this. Um, and then, uh, ongoing communication, how, how, what is the, 
the plan going forward on how often we're going to meet. Um, yeah, if you're not going to meet, if they're not going to meet you, meet you live and regularly, then then that, that's a, a red flag. Um, is there an account minimum number that you would say, like just account minimums across the board, like any, or is there like these are outrageous? Like when they say this number, this is outrageous. When I say or, account minimum, what do you mean by that? Uh, there are they go by the name of wirehouses. They're all names that you would recognize. They advertise on TV. They have whether it's two hundred fifty thousand dollars of initial investment, five hundred thousand dollars of initial investment. You have to make that initial investment in order to get the minimum services. Services that we apply to. Someone who just opens up an account. I think a thousand dollars is our technical account because you have to you have, have, to have something. something in there to grow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but the level of service you can get a thousand dollars is the same as you're going to get at a hundred million with our with our company because wow. we are fiduciaries. Wow, that's great. I mean, I for one, this is helpful for me because when we do these podcasts, you talked about uh, taking information from people, right? It's been cool because not only do I get to hear people's different worldview about different things, I also get to hear like more about my partner's like companies and what I do. Yeah. And I'm thinking through like a bunch, I know you said you don't like make tons of money on startups, but startups eventually over the course of time will help you guys out. And I'm thinking through a bunch of small startups and I'm like, man, this is, this is great. Yeah. Like every one of my clients need to know about this. Now so is we'll, the time. We'll now is the time. Off, yeah. yeah. We'll talk, talk about podcasts about me sending something out. Is there uh, an employees? This is personally curious. Is there like an, a, is it like three employees to like, is there a minimum amount of employees to, open a 401k plan? There's not a minimum. Um, but if depending on the size of your company there, that, so that's the other thing. When I worked at paychecks, I'll try and spin this quickly. All I could sell you was a 401k. So, you know, you got a 401k, even if you're, there's something out there called a simple IRA. Yeah. And there's also a SEP. Those are sometimes better solutions because they're more cost effective rather than paying for administration for a couple employees. You give up the amount you can totally put into the plan, but you, there's no, there's virtually no cost or, or the cost is so nominal. It wouldn't even sweat a single business owner. What about Roth 401ks? So all of our 401k plans have Roth as part of, part of them. Um, it is, a, even if you're not Roth eligible outside the 401k, you make too much money. You can mm. still do up to 22,500 Roth inside the 401k, which is. That's a, way more than you could do on an individual basis. And, yep. And so that's why a lot, when we do like an owner only, a lot of times they're using their successful lawyer, let's say mm. owner only, and they're using it to stuff it full of Roth dollars. Would there be, man, that's interesting. So, so let me give you, and we're going to, yeah, we have, we have 10 minutes, so we'll wrap up. Uh, this is the advice to give people. I want to know if you agree with me. So when people ask, because I'm a life insurance guy, so we talk some yeah. about money. Generally, people that have zero retirement, so I'm talking like in their 20s, I recommend open a Roth, max out your Roth, buy term life insurance. Is there, what are the scenarios where you would not recommend a Roth or like, Generally, would you say Roth is a fair way to go unless, you know, you're making stupid high money and you want to get the tax savings of a traditional IRA? Like it, it, for the average person, would you say Roth is probably the way to go? A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the only, the only, I didn't used to think this, but I used to like the traditional because you got the compound, you had your money in the, in the plan, you got the government's money in your plan working for you. So people got to see their balances accelerate a little bit. Plus you have a, a tax deduction deferment of those tax dollars in the year. So you kind of got a three prong attack, which I, which I still, which I still like, but what you're saying is done nobody wrong. That's doing nobody a disservice okay. at all. Um, the other thing that with Roth and traditional, which a lot of people don't know is the assumption in the Roth that the Roth is better than a traditional is based purely on the assumption that tax dollars will be, your taxes will be greater in retirement mm -hmm. than they are today. If the 
if the investments are exactly the same, the deposits are the same, and taxes don't change, mm. they they're identical. It's just you're paying the taxes now, now, now versus later. Which the irony is, and I don't know if it's exactly true to this day, but I know four years ago uh, was the lowest. Uh, it was the end of, end of Obama's term. Was the lowest tax environment in U.S. history. Yeah. So people who were betting on the Roth, like they were actually in a lower tax situation than they than mm. they had thought they were in 1980 or or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. That, that's oh. unique. I mean, whether taxes have to, I would assume taxes have to go up. I mean, yeah. I, I don't even just based on needing more money for Social Security funding, and yeah. I don't know. I just feel like it's going to have to go up. Controversial right? opinion for podcast number Ooh, number two. I'm ready. I don't think we're taxed enough. Mm. We don't pay enough in taxes uh, to fund the things that we all Bro, want to have. For that, I know, but like that, that, like like take a look around. We live in Michigan. How do you feel about the roads? Right. And then don't, but then don't sit back and say like, oh, the government doesn't know how to spend money. I got to keep it all to myself. Those are the things that get funded through growth. You don't like the schools? Where's the money come from? You don't like your health care? Where's the money come from? So. Quite honestly. So that's the argument, though, that then I think a lot of people would say, well, then what's the government spending our current tax dollars on? Th- there's an argument to be had. So that, that's where I would. There's I would a priority argument always to always to be had, but no one's going to hey, nope. do, do a sidewalk. No one is ever going to say, hey, I'm going to I'm going to put a sidewalk in front of my house if you just left them to do what they want. Sure. So sure. government has a has a role where that role begins and ends. There's a fair argument to, to be had yeah. there. But for the things Dude, that, I love that for the things that we we'll need have to like fund. a separate podcast where we just like grab a drink and just like start yelling about politics. Exactly. And, I, and I'm no expert. This is just this is my interpretation with the socio- sociology I've, where I've grown we're up at with right yeah. now in Michigan. And yeah. I, agree, I can understand. I mean, I don't I would never I could never understand myself saying that I want more taxes. But I can understand from a social aspect. I think that. What I want and what we need aren't always the same thing. What? Well, no, I agree. But I also just, I struggle giving more money where then I, I should, I got to pay everything I, I, I do. Um, but then I'm like, I know the waste that happens. So it's like. I and nobody likes spending money on things that they don't prioritize either. Sure. So yeah, it's, it's, it, that's the rub. It is the rub. Dude, I love that. We could, we could be on that one for another like hour. Like, let's yeah. just go through that. Um, last thing, uh, I want to give me that book real quick. So uh, as you guys know, Evan is super knowledgeable. He and his co-owner, man, I actually was going to ask you about the story about this book. Um, like what, what, what made you guys want to write this book? So you go back to before LinkedIn, before marketing, um, we put all of our secret recipes in there. Um, we would mail out soft cover copies to prospects, um, trying to start a conversation. Um, it was highly effective for a long time. We've kind of moved a little bit past it. The knowledge that we put in there is still a hundred percent worth it. Like I said, it's our secret recipes. So any business owner could take that, read it, rip through it in one night and know how to effectively manage uh, a 401k and know what's in their best interest truthfully, most will read it and say, I don't want to do half this stuff. Can someone do it for me? And that's what we're here to do. Yeah, I love it. This is uh, it's about, what, 100 pages, something like that, 140 like that. pages? Yeah. It's big font. I mean, yeah, you could easily get through this in a night or two. Um, I just think it's cool because I didn't even know you wrote a book. And I went to an event that Evan was holding for us, and he just, like, started passing on this book. I'm like, dude, this guy's a freaking author <laughs> on top of being, like, an amazing friend, a killer 401k owner. Thank I mean, you. his team is great. His whole team is just really kind good people yeah and i appreciate that his steve is also an amazing guy so if you guys want to get this book is can can they get this somehow is this like a is this a situation where they could reach out to you and ask for a copy or how would that how would that work yeah our website michigan 401k advisors has if you the book's called tracking retirement so if you find uh the the drop down menu tracking retirement you can just 
type your email in and we'll send you out a copy. Uh, we do that all the time. Uh, get through Dylan's channels, LinkedIn or email and say, hey, I want to copy that book. We'll put one in the mail uh, or drop it off however you want us to get it to you. Perfect. Uh, if you do have a 401k, we'll also send you a little bit of research on what you currently have because uh, those tax filings that you do for that retirement plan every year, they're public record and I snoop in them. I love the it. Yeah. So if you have a 401k, if you're interested in reading this book, um, I am going to read it. I'll let you guys know. I'm sure it's going to be amazing. I just think it's great that you wrote a book. I mean, that's just like awesome. Yeah. The first um, 30 pages are are really like me and who we are and how we inter interact. Uh, then the rest of the stuff is kind of the mechanics of a of a, of a 401k. There's not re it's not subjective. There's no artistry to the to right. the back third simple, of the book. Simple and right to the. I love that. Right off the bat, fiduciary itinerary. I love that. You got so, it. So thank you guys for listening to the podcast. I think I think this is one of our best ones. I say this every time, but I feel like we're getting better and better at, um, I mean, first of all, I mean, just the knowledge that Evan, that you brought. I love it. Thank you. And um, I, I will say this in all confidence. Like Evan is the guy I recommend to 401ks with all my clients. And I would recommend you guys look him up. You guys do do personal Yes. So if you are just a person, you're like, I don't have a 401k, but I loved Evan. Or you had a 401k and you want to do a rollover. You want to do a rollover. They'll still help you out. They has a good crew of people there. I trust them. You should too. Thank you for your time, brother. And uh, thank you guys for watching the show. If you haven't yet, hit the subscribe button. Hit that like button because the way YouTube works, if you don't hit the like button, it doesn't send out the video to anybody. So <laughs> I think we have some content here. Thank you for watching. We'll see you guys in the next video. Thanks so much.